I have mentioned before that I think that I worry or have worried much of my life more than most. And I think the reason for that was a decision that my parents made when I was just four years old. It was a decision to have my twin brother and me go to school. Our birthday was on the cutoff date in which we could either go forward or be held back a year, and our parents decided to send us forward. What that meant is that we were the youngest kids in the whole school when we began. In kindergarten, we were four years old. And you say, well, what difference does that make? Well, I don't think I was actually emotionally ready to go to school. On top of that, my twin brother and I were particularly small. We were kind of tiny for our age. And it meant when it came to sports and other things, we just were not developed as much as some other people. And I, I tended to worry. I had friends that when it was time for school to start after a wonderful summer, they were looking forward to school, but not me. About the middle of the summer, I would begin to worry about the fact, oh, school is starting, school is starting. And I realized that that carried with me for many years. Now, not all fear is a bad thing. In fact, God created us to be able to be afraid. And I think that that can be a good thing. It can protect us. For example, if you are in an open field and there's a storm, uh, you should be afraid. You should take cover. If you're walking in a field and you see a snake with a little rattle, going, you should be afraid of that. And there are lots of things we should be afraid of, but oftentimes fear can be a problem. Oftentimes it can diminish the quality of our lives. Oftentimes it could keep us or hold us back from making decisions or choices. And now they even say that worry is something that can affect your health. Now, I think it's particularly appropriate when we talk about the subject of worry, anxiety, or fear to be talking about it right now. It's particularly relevant when I think of what's going on in our world. I think many people are afraid of catching COVID-19, this pandemic that's just spread across the world. I think others are more afraid of giving it to somebody else, that maybe someone else would be hurt because, because we spread it on to them. And of course, surrounding that, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty concerning the economy. A lot of people are losing their jobs and they're afraid what the future might hold. On top of that, I think there's a lot going on in our country in terms of the unrest that's taking place. Think of the violence that's taking place in our cities, which I, I am confident that that violence is, is ungodly. It's not what God wants. Our God is a God of order, not disorder. But that's the world in which we live. And then I think some people are looking ahead to this election coming in the fall and they're afraid what might happen, regardless of who is elected. And there are lots of reasons why people are afraid today. And the question is, what do we do about it? There's so much to worry about. Today, we're beginning this new series, as, as Adam said, called No Worries. And it's a series that's based on Philippians chapter four and verse six. Let me read it for you. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul wrote, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now this is a remarkable verse if you think about it because Paul was saying we're not to worry about anything and you wonder how is that possible? And what is worry even? Is there a difference between worry and just having a concern, some of these things we'll talk about in the weeks ahead. Today, though, in this series, we're going to begin a four-week series related to P 
people in the Bible, characters in the Bible who experienced circumstances where they were very, very afraid and I would say rightfully so. These were situations in which all of us, I think, would be afraid. In each of these four stories, I see some lessons in the story that we could apply to our own lives so that we will not have to be afraid, so that we will not have to worry. Now today I wanna tell the story about a guy who wrestled with God. And immediately I think many of you know who this is. This is the story of Jacob. And again, without a doubt, Jacob had something to be very afraid of. His brother was threatening to kill him. Now, as we're looking at this story here today, it's a story that that takes place over many chapters in the Bible. And therefore, I'm gonna be summarizing the story. I really need to set the context of the story, but I want you to know up front that the first half or even two-thirds of this talk is gonna feel a little bit like story time with Pastor Tim. I'm gonna be laying out various aspects of this story, and and so in some ways I wanna encourage you just to sit back and listen to the story. The main thing I want us to take away today, though, is this. We need to stand firmly on God's promises. One of the things that will help us when we struggle with worry is to stand on the promises that God has given to us. And there are lots of promises in the pages of the Bible. Now let's jump into this story. Of course, many of you know Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac. Isaac married a woman named Rebecca, and those two had some twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And these two boys, even though they were twins, were very different from one another. When Esau was born, and he was the firstborn, he was very hairy, basically from head to toe is the implication you get. He was incredibly hairy, almost furry. And then Jacob comes out and he's very smooth. You know, most of the time I think twins kind of look alike, but not these two. My twin brother and I look almost, I mean, we look very much alike. In fact, at my own wedding, there was some confusion about which one of us was getting married. But in this case, the two were very different. And as they grew older, the differences became more pronounced. Esau was someone who loved to hunt. Jacob was someone who liked to stay home and work with the flocks, and he was more the domestic type. Esau was someone who was the favorite son of their father, Isaac. And Jacob was more loved by Rebekah. Now, some things we need to understand about this story, some of the background of this story, is that there were some traditions in Bible times that we don't tend to follow today. One of those traditions is to honor the firstborn son. The firstborn son in the household was someone who was to be honored in a special way. Many times they'd get a double inheritance when the father passed away. Now, I've reflected on this before and wondered, why does the firstborn get a double inheritance? But I believe it's because when the father passed away, this boy would become like the patriarch of the whole clan. And in that role, sometimes I think he'd need to help other people or whatever. But to be the firstborn and to be born first are two different things. In Bible times, when you see the term firstborn, like when it's applied to Jesus, when, when he's called the firstborn from the dead, it doesn't mean born first. It was specifically a position of honor. And so, in this story of Jacob and Esau, something happened early on that began to put a wedge between the two boys. One day, Jacob was cooking 
in the kitchen there, and he was making some stew and some bread, and then Esau came in from hunting, and he was absolutely famished. And he said, I'd like to have some of that stew. Would you give it to me? And Jacob said, I'll give it to me if you give me the firstborn honors. Sell it to me in exchange for being firstborn. And Esau's response was, well, if I don't eat, I'm going to die anyway, so what does this firstborn mean to me anyway? And he sold it for a single meal. Now, in that one transaction, we learned something about both of the boys. We learn about Esau, that he was very fleshly minded. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, in my version of the Bible, he's called immoral and irreverent that for a single meal he set aside this honor and it's an honor I think that was bestowed by God and he set it aside for a single meal. And so you get a sense of what he was like. But we also learn something about Jacob. Jacob was someone who was kind of a, a manipulator, a schemer. And as we'll see in a minute, that's a quality that I think he got from his mom. This was not the thing that caused the main rift though between these two boys. It's something that happened later. A second tradition in Bible times was what, when a godly father was going to die, before he died, he would give a blessing to his kids. And once again, the one who was the firstborn would oftentimes get the best blessing. Isaac now was an old man. He was blind. He couldn't see. And he thought that he was going to die. And so he called in Esau, and he said to Esau, I'd like for you to go out hunting and I'd like you to, to, to get some game, and I want you to make a stew, the kind that you know that I like, and then come back and, and, and give it to me. And after I've eaten, I'm going to give you the blessing. And so Esau took off. Well, the mom, Rebecca, overheard the conversation. And she wanted the best blessing to go to Jacob. And so she called for Jacob and she said, you know, I overheard dad talking to Esau and he sent Esau out to go hunting so that he could give him the blessing. But I want you to go out and get a couple goats, young goats. I will prepare the stew and I want you to present it to father so he'll give you the blessing. Now, initially, Jacob didn't want to do it. He said, if dad finds out that I'm, I'm lying, I'll get a curse instead of a blessing. This will turn against me. And Rebecca said, if he curses you, let the curse fall upon me, but do what I ask you. And then she came up with this idea. She clothed Jacob in Esau's clothing, and then she attached to his hands and to the back of his neck some, some goat hair. Because again, the two boys were very different. And when father came up to hug Jacob, he would realize the deceit. And so Jacob went in with the food and dressed like this. Now, when he came back, came into the room where his dad was and, and gave him the stew, dad said, how come you're back so soon? I think his dad was immediately suspicious. And Jacob responded in a very spiritual way. He said, well, the Lord blessed me. That's why he, he allowed me to find some game real quickly. I have found, by the way, over the years that many times sp people spiritualize their sin. And that's what he did. Well, Isaac still wasn't persuaded. He said, come on over here and let me touch you. And he grabbed Jacob's hand and he, he felt the fur. He said, I just want to make sure it's you, Esau. Are you really Esau? And Jacob lied again. He said, yes, I'm Esau. And then he gave him the food. And after Isaac had eaten the stew 
He pulled Jacob close to him for a kiss. He smelled Esau's clothing. He decided this was indeed Esau, and he pronounced a blessing. And here's where we pick up the story in Genesis 27, beginning in verse 28, where Isaac said, may the Lord give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. This was a prophetic blessing that was going to come true. It was ordained by God to come true. And Jacob here got the very best. He was going to be blessed in the field. He was going to have what he needed. He was going to be over anyone else that would be born in the household. And if anyone blessed him, they'd be blessed. But if anyone dared to curse him, they themselves would be cursed. This was a tremendous blessing. Jacob then left the room. Almost immediately, Esau came back. He prepared the stew and he went in to see his father. And he said, Dad, I'm back, and I prepared the stew like you asked me to do. I'm ready for the blessing. And at this, Isaac began to shake violently. And he said, well, who was that that came in before? I've already eaten the stew. I've already given the blessing. And they both instinctively knew who it was, that Jacob had deceived him. And Esau was very upset about it. The text indicates that he cried with a loud and bitter cry. He said, this brother of mine, first of all, he's stolen my birthright, but now he's stolen the blessing as well. Give me a blessing too, Father. Bless me as well. And Isaac said, I've already given the best blessing to him. And then Isaac prophesied over Esau. Notice the difference in this prophecy, the difference in this so-called blessing. In verse 39 of Genesis 27, Then his father Isaac answered him, look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. He was basically telling Esau, life's gonna be really, really hard for you. You're going to plant crops, but they're not going to give their yield. You're going to work hard, but it's not going to be good. And, and you kind of have to live by your sword. It suggests that he's going to get in fights and that it was going to be really tough. But then the only redeeming part of this, this so-called blessing was, he said, but eventually you'll break free. Eventually you'll become your own person. Well, after this event happened, Esau decided that he was going to kill his brother He was going to wait until Isaac passed away, and then he was going to kill him. Well, apparently, Esau talked to someone about this, and Rebecca overheard it. And so she came up with another scheme. She went into Isaac, and she said, you know, Jacob is of marrying age, and I really don't want him marrying anyone around here, from any of the peoples around here. I want him to go back to our homeland or Abraham was, and find a wife there. And Isaac thought that was a good idea, and so they sent Jacob away. Now, 20 years would pass, and this is where we begin getting to the heart of the story and the point that I want to make. We pick up the story in Genesis 31 and verse 3, where we read, Then the Lord said to him, 
to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. God was saying to Jacob, I'm sending you back home. I'm sending you back to see your brother who wants to kill you. And then he threw in this one statement and I will be with you. And here's where we get to my takeaway here again today. Stand firmly on the promises of God. The thought of returning home scared Jacob to death. He was so worried and anxious and afraid about it and understandably so. And the thing about it is that his worry, his fear was a direct result of things he had done wrong, which I think is very significant. Because I think sometimes we think we can't pray about certain things or we can't go to God about certain things because whatever it is we're going through, whatever reason that we're afraid is something that we brought on ourselves. And we think, well, God's not gonna bless me or God's not gonna help me. Jacob did not have that idea. As we'll see in a minute, he prayed to God and asked for this blessing. Now, Jacob sent some messengers as he got close to home to his brother. He wanted his brother to know that he was coming and he wanted to get kind of a sense of where things were at, to get a temperature reading, to see if his brother was still mad at him. And the messengers returned and the word that they brought back was not good. The messengers said, Esau is coming to meet you and he's got 400 soldiers with him. I want you to think for a moment, if you were Jacob, how would you feel about that? If he was afraid before, at this point, he was absolutely terrified. He came up with a plan. By now, after this 20 years had passed, by the way, he had several wives, which in Bible times, they sometimes did that. He had four wives, and he had about a dozen kids. And he had lots of flocks. He was very wealthy. He had a number of servants. And so he decided to divide his entire group into two camps. He thought in his mind, well, if Esau attacks one group, at least the other group might be able to escape. That was his reasoning. And then we find him praying. And the prayer is found in Genesis 32, and and this really does get to the heart of my takeaway here today. In Genesis 32, beginning in verse 9, we read these words. Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, The Lord who said to me, go to your land and to your family and I will cause you to prosper. I'm unwilling, I'm sorry, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I've become two camps. Please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau for I'm afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children." You have said, I will cause you to prosper and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. Now again, my takeaway today is this, stand firmly on the promises of God or stand firmly on God's promises. Two times in this prayer, Jacob reminded God what he had said he would do for Jacob. Two times he said, listen, you're the one that told me to go back into the lion's den, to go back home, but you said you'd be with me. You said you would prosper me. You said that my descendants would be like the sand of the sea. I think in the back of his mind, he was thinking of the prophecy his dad had made over him according to the word of God. And we don't know what else God maybe told Isaac to assure him, but in either case, he took God at his word. Now, I wanna say this, 
Next week, I'd like to talk on this subject of prayer a little bit more and the example of Elijah. But as we look at this story here, this is the kind of prayer that I think God loves. The kind of prayer where we remind him what he's already told us, what he's already promised. Now, I understand God doesn't need a reminder. In fact, I think when we recite the promises of God back to God, it really helps us much more than it helps God. But what is being demonstrated here is a tremendous amount of faith. And I want us to remember that faith is what pleases God. I mean, we get right with God on the basis of faith. You know, the righteous person will live by faith. And when somebody quotes the promises of God, they're basically saying to God, you made a statement, I trust you. I'm taking you at your word and it's something that builds our faith in a loving God and develops the relationship. Now, what happens next in the story is one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. We read that Jacob sent his entire group across the river and he himself was alone. And he spent some time, I think, praying, but we read the story where he wrestled had a wrestling match with God. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 24. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. Jacob, he replied, your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, and I've been delivered. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why to this day the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. So who was this guy that wrestled with Jacob all night long? Well, I'm convinced it was God. And I believe that this is a picture of wrestling with God in prayer. And this is an important thing to understand about prayer. Again, I want to talk about this, Lord willing, next week. But prayer is not just a matter of just bringing a request to God and then saying in Jesus' name, amen. Like that's the end of it. There are times in which we need to wrestle with God in prayer. Spend the night wrestling with him. Now, there are some people that think as they read this, well, this can't be God. There are two reasons why they think this. Number one is the text indicates that they wrestled all night long and the guy couldn't beat Jacob. And then... The guy asked Jacob, well, what's your name? And in both cases, people look at that and say, well, if that, that were God, you know, how could that be? How could he not defeat Jacob? And why would he have to ask Jacob his name? Well, I'm convinced this was God. In fact, specifically, it was Jesus. This is what's called a Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Why wasn't he able to defeat Jacob? Well, I think it's because he took on flesh and blood for the occasion. I think he became a man. It was a pre-incarnation incarnation. And I think he wrestled Jacob in his own strength, in his own might. 
And I believe that because when the morning came and he said, let me go, and Jacob wasn't willing to do it, all he did was, I think, touch Jacob's hip, and it came out of joint, which to bring a hip out of joint is kind of, it'd take a lot to do that. I think Jesus just touched him. He could have done that all along, of course. And the reason he asked Jacob his name was not for his sake, but for Jacob's. The name Jacob means one who grabs the heel. Jacob, his whole life, had been grabbing the heel. In fact, he was given that name because when the two babies came out, he was holding on to Esau's heel as if to pull him back in. He was the type of guy that strived with people and God his whole life. But Jesus said to him on this occasion, he changed his name. Your name now will be Israel. You know, now you're one who's, who strives with God. And that became the name, and he became the father of the tribes of Israel. Now, again, I think God included this whole story in the Bible to give us a picture of wrestling with God and with claiming the promises of God. So how did this story end? Well, it did end with the blessing. God did bless him. And in Genesis 33 and verse 4, when the two met, we read, but Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then they wept. I don't believe this story could have ended any better. He ran to him. He hugged him. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And then they wept. He forgave him. Now, I think there are lots of reasons why he forgave him. Maybe God did a work in his heart. Maybe time had healed the rift. But I think also at this point, we know that Esau himself had become wealthy. I think that the promise that God had made to Esau had already come true as well. He had broken free of his brother. He had become a man in his own right. And so God had made a promise not to just to Jacob, but to Esau as well. Now, I want us to understand the Bible is absolutely filled with promises. And because of these promises, we do not have to worry. From Genesis to Revelation, there are promises all over the place. And I'd like to close here in terms of application by listing some of them. One of the things I think people are afraid of more than anything else is they're afraid to die. They don't know for sure they'll go to heaven if they die. And one of the greatest promises in the Bible, for me personally, it's the greatest promise, is that we'll have eternal life if we put our trust in Jesus. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his only, one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son Everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, this is what God says, will not perish but have eternal life. I think most people are trusting in their own good deeds to get to heaven. They think if I'm good enough, I'll merit or earn eternal life, but that is not how it works. We're all sinners. We're separated from God. We cannot work our way to eternal life. This is how we receive it. Because we couldn't save ourselves, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Jesus came into this world taking on flesh and blood. He lived a sinless life so that the sins of the world could be charged against him. And he was executed in our place and for our sin so that the justice of God against the sin of the world would be satisfied. And Jesus was buried, but then he rose again from the dead. And that demonstrates that God accepted the payment that was made on our behalf. And many promises in the Bible, therefore, we have that say if we'll put our trust in Jesus, if in a moment of time we say, I need you as my savior, I put my trust in you, we have the promise of eternal life. 
But there are many other promises out there. Here's one in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right paths. Another version of the Bible says you acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct you. He'll show you which way to go. It's a tremendous promise. Consider Isaiah 26.3. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace for it's trusting in you. Do you want to have perfect peace in your mind? Trust in God, it says. Put your hope in him. Or this promise that was made to Joshua, but I think it applies to all of us in Joshua 1.9. God said to him, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, we can be strong and we can be courageous if we know our God is with us wherever we go. And of course, Jesus said that, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. We do not need to be afraid. One of the best passages in the Bible about the subject of worry and anxiety is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 30 to 33, where Jesus was talking about how God clothes the flowers, that that the flowers are more beautiful than the clothing of Solomon. And he said here, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. These verses are so incredibly relevant in the day in which we're living right now. And then consider this promise which I alluded to earlier in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's what we need right now, the peace of God to guard our hearts and minds. This says you give it all to, to God in prayer. And then one last one I want to refer to is Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 where we read, he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now, this is just a sampling. What I want to encourage you to do, I've I've said it many times before, I encourage you to be in the habit of reading your Bible. And then when you come across these verses, I encourage you to mark them in your Bible or even write them down on a little three-by-five card. A lot of the promises in the Bible are ones that I've even memorized, I've committed to memory so that when I'm going through a particular situation, I'm able to recite it back to God to say, Lord, you you said this. You said, for example, I did not need to be anxious, that if I gave this to you, that your peace would guard my heart and my mind. And I wanna trust you to do that. So I'm encouraging you to read, memorize, and apply. Read the word of God, memorize the promises, and apply them to your life. Let's close in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for the example you've given us of Jacob. He was so afraid, and yet we find him sincerely just coming to you and trusting in you and reciting the promises that you had given to him, saying, Lord, you said you'd do this, and and he was basically saying, I'm taking you at your word, and Lord, we want to take you at your word. We want to stand firmly on your promises. Help us, O Lord, to do this, I pray. Give us a heart, O Lord, to even know what these promises are, to find them, to discover them, to apply them, to memorize them.
to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.